Happy Sunday, everybody. This is Ethan with Digging Deeper, and today we are taking a look at Ephesians 5. We've gone through Ephesians 1 through 4, and Ephesians 2, we actually, we it was a two-part uh, episode because of how much there was to get to, and actually, that's what we're going to be doing with Ephesians 5. So there are there are two different sections that I've kind of broken it off into uh, two parts, and this is part one. So let's just dive right in. So this chapter, there were actually a lot of different translations that I pulled from, and by a lot, I actually mean like three or four, uh, but I do jump around a lot. So I will make sure to let you know what translation I'm pulling from when I pull from them. Um, if I don't specify, I'm using ESV like I have for uh, all previous episodes. So just keep that in mind. So starting from the top, Ephesians 5 verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, we talked about this concept of children in the last episode in Ephesians 4, and I brought up the point that children are very much like sponges. We we talked about it regarding uh, Ephesians 4 verse 14, where it was talking about do not be like children being tossed to and fro by different doctrines and, and different people. Um, and, it's, and it's because children are like sponges, and they... That's why they can learn multiple languages from a very young age. Whereas, you know, today I have a hard time just learning one new language. But what Paul does here is it's like a complete 180 with the metaphor of children. And he uses it to start off Ephesians 5. So so he uses this, this child metaphor, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Um, I guess technically that's a simile instead of a metaphor because he says as, but anyways, not to get into English and grammar. Um, I, I, I really kind of dove into just this first verse because of this idea of being imitators. So I, I got on Google and I started reading research papers about how children imitate from a very young age. And, and something I learned is, is a very big way that children learn is by imitating adults. And then they retain that information that they learn from that imitation. So uh, there was a really fascinating study done in London where they took a group of children. They, they were all within the age of, uh, I believe, four and five years old. And they had these children watch a group of, an, uh, a group of adults open a box and now it didn't get into the specifics of how the box was opened, but basically the adults were instructed to take many unnecessary steps to open the box. And so I'm like, I just imagine maybe they like put it above their head and then, you know, rotated it or whatever, but they did all these unnecessary steps. Then they had the children open the box and these children that watched the adults open the box, they did all the same unnecessary steps and then open the box. They then took a separate group of children, same age, 
but did not have them watch adults open the box. And believe it or not, the children actually opened the box without the unnecessary steps. And I just think that's so interesting because it, it sets this dynamic when we apply it to scripture <clears throat> that you can achieve things um, easily or more difficult. And it depends how you imitate your life and what you imitate your life um, in response to. So uh, an example could be uh, a relationship with someone. You could have a very successful relationship if you are imitating you know, the, the relationship we have with Christ, which we get into that later in Ephesians five. Um, but if you imitate what maybe the worldly view says about how a relationship should be, then it's going to be much more difficult. Uh, it's like, you're going to go through a lot of unnecessary steps. So really interesting. Uh, there's also another interesting aspect when it comes to this child imitation. According to a uh, developmental psychologist, Moritz Dom from the University of Zurich, imitation not only teaches children instinctive behavior, so behaviors that eventually become natural, but it also teaches them a sense of belonging. So when they imitate, they're developing a sense of belonging. Now, when we apply this to the scripture, Paul tells us to be imitators of God. And in, in Ephesians 4, he tells us to not, in, in a sense, in contrast to this verse, be not imitators, do not imitate the world. Um, and so this sense of belonging becomes important because when we are imitators of God, we then also gain a sense of belonging um, a, a sense of belonging in the body of Christ, which when you, when you apply, you know, modern day science and this, this study to what Paul's saying, it's so cool, but I, I could keep going about that, but I'll move on. Uh, picking up in verse two, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And this, this is what we are to imitate. Uh, Paul was saying, be imitators. This is how we're supposed to imitate God by walking in love and giving ourselves up for God as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to him. Verse three. Now I'm going to jump to the NLT translation. It says, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Now, let there be, which is the, the first part of that verse, let there be no sexual immorality, etc. Let there be implies action. Let is a verb. And therefore it means we actually have the choice. So we have to make the choice to not allow uh, the following things be among us um, because they have no place among us. Uh, the King James Version actually lists these out as fornication, uncleanness, or covetousness. Now, the word fornication, in Greek, it's actually porneia, and that's where we get the word porn, uh, which is the root of pornography. And so, as you can guess, 
fornication, the, the, the Greek definition for porneia is a selling off or a surrendering of sexual purity. So I think a lot of times people read this, no matter what translation they're using, um, whether they see fornication or sexual immorality, wh- what, whichever way, and they may apply it just kind of to their own situation or a situation closer to them. Um, so let me just kind of list it out because it, it includes multiple areas of sexual impurity. Um, it would include like premarital sex, adultery, homosexuality, uh, prostitution, things like that. It's all, all um, aspects of sexual immorality. Uh, the other word I focused on in my study was covetousness. Um, the Greek definition for that is the desire for more. So the word greed kind of sums this up uh, just in modern day English, but it greed in and of itself is kind of a sin, but covetousness is actually a, a part of all sin. Um, covetousness or the desire for more, it always will start with the I. Uh, if you read the story right after Israel took the city of Jericho in the book of Joshua, in the, in the old Testament, uh, they were told to not take anything in the city. They were just supposed to conquer the city. And then everything else was an offering to God. But there was one man who saw something. And, and when he saw that thing that he wanted in, in the city, he took it and hid it. And then judgment fell on Israel and they had to uh, Joshua had to line up all the families and God told him, you know, family, family by family, you know, it's not this one, not this one. It's this family person by person. It's this person. And that person died. Um, so, so to covet something, it, it will always start with your eyes. Um, and the Bible also tells us that, you know, the eyes are basically the windows to the soul. And so Basically, I I say all of that to say covetousness is the root of all sins. Um, A very easy example on how to apply this is, let's say there's a married couple and the husband or the wife, you know, someone they work with, um, all of a sudden they're looking at them and they're like, oh, wow, that person's really attractive. That's it right there. That's it's it's started its root and then it it just builds up and builds up and david and i use the word fester a lot in this series um it it starts to fester and all of a sudden it leads to adultery um so covetousness is is a very important topic because we have to guard ourselves from that just from you know what we see with our eyes Uh, I'll never forget, I was at a youth conference back when I was in a youth group, as I was a youth at one point, and as, you know, a teenage boy, something that was prominently taught on was, um, you know, lust. That's probably the best way to put it. Lust was a big topic taught to young, young adult men. Um, in their in their teens, going through that stage of life, and I'll never forget there was a, a speaker, and his the, the concept of the whole message was, uh, let your eyes be uh, like almost like a bouncy ball, 
if you see a girl at school or whatever, and all of a sudden you find yourself, you know, uh, fixating on how pretty she is, bounce your eyes off of it. Don't keep your eyes on that girl uh, because then it's just going to, you know, spin out of control. But instead, just bounce your eyes and just look at something else. And it, you know, as an adult, I mean, it's great. That's a that's a great uh, lesson. It's kind of funny thinking about it now, but it's true. Even, you know, let's take greed, like like uh, greed when it comes to money. If all of a sudden you're wanting every new thing, every latest thing, you're never satisfied with what you have. Um, as soon as you see a new thing, you've got to bounce your eyes or your attention off of that. Otherwise, you're just going to covet that thing and, and it's going to lead to you know, corruption in your life. So that was verse three, verse four, going back to the ESV, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. Or the NLT says, these are not for you, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So, uh, filthiness basically boils down to like unseemly gestures, uh, it says, let there be no filthiness, no unseemly gestures. The way I kind of look at this is like giving someone the bird or, uh, you know, just things like that. And then it says, uh, nor foolish talk, foolish talk. The, the Greek definition for that is the, the talk of fools. That's, it's like a Greek phrase, the talk of fools at best. It's just a waste of time. Like best case scenario, this kind of talk is just wasting your time. It's not building anyone up. Uh, it's not tearing anyone down. That's the best case scenario. However, most of the time, it will lead to corruption in your life. It wields the power to corrupt your life. Uh, so that's why Paul tells us to just don't even allow it in our lives. And then lastly, he wraps it up with crude joking. Crude joking, the Greek word is eutropalia, uh, and that it, it, it translates to like a low blow. Um, I'm trying to think of a good example of like a low blow. Uh, like if, if someone, if someone recently, I don't know, this is a silly example, but like if someone recently lost a loved one and then you you like joked about that loved one or something, you know, something like that, like, like a low blow, like, come on, man, that, that was a low blow. Um, that's what that crude joking boils down to in the Greek. So that's, that's a verse that I, I've, I've always known about, but I've always kind of been like, well, like you could look at it from a legalistic standpoint. And we kind of talked about this in Ephesians four. It really comes down to, to what the Holy spirit um, you know, tells you or, or kind of puts a check in your heart about. So that's between you and the Holy Spirit. Moving on to verse five, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Verse six, the NLT don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. So this is saying, which is something you can see in our world today. People will bend the word of God or get creative with the word of God to excuse sin. Um, that's a big reason why 
I'm doing this podcast uh, because I see it all the time on Facebook, especially people can easily find a verse to excuse or, or almost like defend their point of view. Um, but when it's taken out of context, it has no real meaning. And, and you can take many, many verses out of context and use it to defend a viewpoint. Um, so, so, Paul's basically warning us of, of these kind of pe- these kinds of people by saying, "Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, um, because in the end, the anger of God will fall on all who disobey Him." So, whether you're misinterpreting the Bible or not, you know you're supposed to have the Holy Spirit in you um, to then, you know, correct you when you are wrong. So, one. You know, don't be one of those people. Don't bend the word of God to excuse the sin in your life, but also don't be fooled by those who do that very thing. Um, Moving on to verse seven, staying with the NLT. Don't participate in the things these people do. Verse eight, for once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of the light. Uh, The ESV translation ends that verse as walk as children of the light. So again, this, this concept of children, um, I, I was trying to think of a, of a good way to kind of compare that correlation when Paul uses children, according to the ESV translation. And it's almost kind of like, I mean, we all know that kid, uh, when you're on the playground as a kid and <clears throat> you know, my dad, my dad can beat your dad up. But really, when we walk as children of the light or children of God, it's like walking as a kid who knows that their dad can beat up anyone else's dad. And, and it's, a, it's, you know, confidence, it's power, it's authority. Verse 9, still in the NLT, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. This basically is, is the fruit of the spirit. He's talking about the fruit of the spirit in verse nine. So for this light within you produces the fruit of the spirit, which is good and right and true. Verse 10. Now I'm switching over to the King James version, proving what is acceptable to the Lord. So let me, let me put those kind of back to back for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true, proving what is acceptable to the Lord. So, Other translations interpret verse 10 as try to discern or carefully determine what is acceptable to the Lord. But I I personally think the King James Version more accurately translates the original Greek, which is uh, dokimazo, which means to show what is acceptable. So what he's saying here is, is that the light within you or the Holy Spirit within you produces the fruit of the spirit, which is good, right, and true. And it proves or shows God and the world what is acceptable to God. Uh, the fruit of the spirit is what shows what is good to God. In Matthew seven seventeen, Jesus tells us a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. So the reason I like the King James on this verse is because where the other translations are saying, try to discern or carefully determine, it kind of puts it within our own power, but it's not within our own power. When we are living right with God and we are walking with the Holy spirit and we are doing as the Holy spirit instructs us, 
the Holy Spirit is what's producing this fruit. It's not us. Um, and it, it that fruit shows what is acceptable. So walk with the Holy Spirit and this fruit will be produced, which is good, right and true. And it'll prove not only to yourself, not only to God, and, but, but also to the people around you, what is good and acceptable to God. Moving on to verse 11. Now I'm going to go back to the ESV. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So what is unfruitful? Unfruitful means in the Greek, any thought, any thought, that's important. It's not just action. Any thought or action not born of faith. So this exposing that Paul's talking about, he, he says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. This exposing of unfruitful works is important to do in two ways. One with ourselves and the second way is with others. So let's start with, with ourselves. Being open and honest about your own sin is the only way to be fully healed. Uh, James 5.16 confirms this. Uh, James writes, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. <clears throat> this shows us how confessing our sins to one another is so important. Um, let's uh, the Catholic church, for example, it like took this verse out of context. This is a good example of taking a verse out of context. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe they, this isn't how they came up with their idea of a confessional, but you know, confessing your sins in like a confessional form where, where it's just to a priest. And then the priest is the one who takes it to God. That's like, totally twisting and warping what the Bible's telling us. We're supposed to confess our sins to each other, um, to people that we're close with and trust, obviously, not just, you know, walking down the street or, or whatever. But, you know, for me, I have, I have several close, close friends. And if I fall into sin in any, any way, shape or form, or even just, you know, fear, uh, is, is a very simple sin that is something I have to deal with more consistently than other things. Um, I, I talk to it. I talk to my friends about this so that they can pray with me about it so that I can be healed of that. Um, so that's, the, that's the first exposing it's exposing it within ourselves. And, and this is something that I had a very hard time with, um, you know, even two years, two, three years ago, because I was living in sin. Um, but I also wanted to look good to everyone. And especially because I was going to Bible school at the time, I really didn't, I really didn't want people to know because I was in Bible school and, oh my gosh, how can you be living a corrupt lifestyle and be in Bible school? And so I hid that and it ended up only hurting me more than had I just been honest with the people around me and gotten, you know, free of that sin uh, from just from the get go rather than just suppressing it. And then it just exploding like, you know, 
Coke with Mentos in it. Um, so it's very important to expose the sin in your own life. Now, the other side of this is exposing uh, sin within others. Now, they're, they're, they're kind of, there are different ways to do this depending on who the other person is. If it's someone close to you, um, then, you know, we must help them expose their sin when, when we see that sin in their life and, and help them expose it themselves. Uh, because if not, we're, we're putting up with it or excusing them for excusing the sin that they're living in. However, there's a caveat with this. We must do this exposing in love. Um, It's going to benefit no one at all if we do this, you know, in a legalistic or rule type way, because that's birthed more so in in hatred. Um, But when we do this in love, it's successful. Galatians 6.1, Paul writes, uh, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. So, key words there, gently and humbly help that person. Um, so, that that's the big part of, of helping others expose their sin. A really good and simple example would be if, like, if my friend says something like, I'm worried about, I'm worried I'm going to lose my job, right? That's, that's a fear-based statement and fear is not of God. Therefore it is sin. Um, rather than being like, why would you say something like that? Or, you know, something like, you know, super harsh. I wouldn't said, just be like, Hey, there's no need to worry about it. No need to fear. The Bible tells us that we're supposed to walk by faith, not by sight. So no matter what's caused you to be worried about this, um, I just want to speak faith over over the situation, and then I would do so. So that's kind of what that would look like. Hopefully that, that kind of helps. So, oh, the last thing I wanted to say. Uh, Paul says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. This word instead kind of helps us understand the verse even further because the word instead shows us that if we're not exposing the sin, then we're taking part in them. Um, if you're aware that a close friend is, is, you know, living in sin or living in darkness and we just expose it or, or sorry, we just excuse it and and let them go on living that way. We're basically like helping them live that way because we're not helping them not live that way. Hopefully that makes sense. Um, But moving on the next part, I'm going to read verses 12 through 14 and I'm going to go back to the NLT. Paul writes, it is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them for the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead and Christ will give you light. So Paul is saying that the sin done in secret, uh, by, by the ungodly people. Now I'll say this. There's, I guess, speculation, amongst scholars that Paul may have been talking about a specific group of people in Ephesus. Like I talked about in the introduction to 
Ephesians, uh, Ephesus was like an epicenter of worshiping idols, uh, especially the the goddess named Diana. Um, and there were like orgies and, and, and crazy things going on in secret. So there is a chance he was talking about that. But let's say he's not. He's saying that that sin that is kept secret and and done in secret is so bad that he doesn't even want to give that sin the respect of being named. And that's why he doesn't name it here. Uh, he just says it's shameful even to talk about those things. Um, then in, in verse 13, I like how the Passion Translation states verse 13. It says, whatever the revelation light exposes, it will also correct. And everything that reveals truth is light to the soul. So whether the exposing of the sin comes from God, because God exposes sin. If, if someone's living in sin and refuses to come forward about it, um, God makes a way for it to be exposed. I experienced that in my own life. Um, I was ready to keep my sin, you know, locked away with a key, swallow the key, don't tell anyone. But it still found a way to be exposed because that was what God wanted to do. Because God knew that if it wasn't exposed, I couldn't be healed from it. And if I couldn't be healed from it, I couldn't have the testimony. So God can expose sin, but we also, as we just saw in verse 11, we also, as light bearers of the world, can expose sin in fellow believers. And so in the the Passion Translation, it, it says, whatever the revelation light exposes, it will also correct. And I love this because obviously, like I said, when I broke down verse 11, when we expose it, we also correct it with the, with the example I gave, you know, my friend says, I'm worried I'm going to lose my job. First, I would say, you know, Hey, that's fear-based. That's a fear-based thought. Let's not think that way. That's exposing it. And then speaking faith over the situation would be correcting it. God does the same thing. God's not going to expose something and then leave it. God will expose it and then he will correct it. And that's what the passion translation verse 13 is saying whatever the revelation light exposes it will also correct and everything that reveals truth is light to the soul so truth is good for you that's what the end of that is saying (laughs) um moving on to verse 15 now i'm going to jump to the new king james version paul says see then that you walk circumspectly not as fools but as wise That word circumspectly is not a word you probably use at all in your life. But what it means in the Greek, uh, it's akribos, and it means with exactness. So to put that into context, Paul's saying, "See see then that you walk with exactness or with precision, not as fools, but as wise. So it's not like we can walk you know, willy nilly, you just la di da di da. We're supposed to walk with purpose. We're supposed to walk with intent. We're supposed to walk with exactness. And that's how you walk as a wise man, not as a fool. Verse 16, staying in the New King James, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Let me put that with verse 15. See then that you walk with exactness, not as fools, but as wise 
redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now this verse, redeeming the time because the days are evil, uh, the NLT says, make the most of every opportunity. So that word redeeming, redeeming the time, redeeming means figuratively to rescue from loss or like ransom. Um, What Paul's saying here is we live in a world ruled by evil. Um, Every moment within this world is therefore an evil moment. So we as light bearers and as children of God must make every moment count and make every moment good by rescuing it from evil. So we have the power and the authority as children of God to make the most of every moment, even though the days are evil, we can redeem the time by, by making it good. And I just love, you know, meditating kind of on that concept because there are times where, you know, you get so lost in, in all the different things going on in life. But if we just focus on this one moment of time, make it the best you can. It's amazing how, when you do that, you know, minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, week by week, it's amazing how much better things feel in your life. Uh, Verse 17 Going back to the NLT, don't act thoughtlessly or short-sighted, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. So it becomes a depressing vision when you lose sight of the big picture. But what's so great is, you know, it, it, this isn't saying, you know, don't plan for the future. Obviously plan for the future, but don't focus on the future. You know, make your plans, but then focus on today. Um, you know, you're full of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit guides you in peace. And it's amazing because the Holy Spirit, know, the Holy Spirit is God and God knows the plan he has for you. He knows the big picture. So we don't really have to worry about the big, big picture all that much. We really just need to understand what the Lord wants us to do in this moment um, and not get get fixated on the little things. Just do what God instructs you to do. And I promise in the end, it'll all work out. Verse 18, uh, NLT, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what does that look like? What does being filled with the Holy Spirit look like? Paul answers that question in verse 19 singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God, the father in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. So that is exactly what being filled with the Holy spirit would look like. Now from uh, the the church background I come from, I was born in in a Pentecostal church uh, kind of raised in a Pentecostal church. And then I went to Bible school, which, uh, was, was Pentecostal as well. There may be some people out there listening to this that, uh, was not raised in a Pentecostal church. And so scratching your head saying, you know, what's a, what's spiritual songs like a worship song or no spiritual songs actually means singing in the spirit, singing in your, in your heavenly language. Uh, we see this, we see Paul talk about this in first Corinthians 14, 15. He says, well, then what shall I do? I will pray in the spirit 
and I will also pray in words I understand. I will sing in the spirit, and I will also sing in words I understand. So, uh, you know, speaking in tongues, as some people may know it, or speaking in your spirit language, as other people may know it, uh, you don't understand what you're saying. It's, it's a language solely between your spirit and God. Um, so, you know, 1 Corinthians 14, 15 backs up that the spiritual songs Paul is talking about here in verse 19 um, is like singing in the spirit. That pretty much is going to wrap up this first part of Ephesians 5. The next part of Ephesians 5, um, especially if you've read through Ephesians before or have ever heard people talk about Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5 is um, like the marital go-to chapter in Ephesians because this is the, this next section is all about, you know, the husbands and wives and how to treat each other. And I've found some very fascinating things, but I knew this, this first part was going to take a little bit of time. So I I wanted to break it up into two different parts. So I'm going to leave you with this and then I'm going to um, release the second part of Ephesians five here in the next few days. So be watching for that. And thank you so much for listening. You can, um, listen to all of these podcasts. If you ever want to go back and listen to any previous episodes, uh, on Facebook, uh, you can find that at facebook.com slash digging deeper study. You can listen to it on Apple podcasts and Spotify podcasts. So share it with your friends and feel free to let me know if you have any suggestions or requests, especially because we are coming up. Uh, we have the second part of Ephesians 5 and then Ephesians 6, and we're done with Ephesians. So if you have a book that you really want me to dive into other than Revelation, because I'm not getting into that right now, um, <laughs> feel free to let me know and um, and I'll take a look at doing that one next. But for now, that is part one of Ephesians 5. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week.